Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. My name is Leo Dion. We're joined again by Lucas Dara. Hey, Lucas, good to have you back. Good to be back. So I wanted to continue our discussion on WWDC. I think the question that's on everybody's mind is, did you get a DTK? <laughs> uh, I did not originally. My original thought originally, was... Originally, okay. Yeah, so when it first came out, I saw the price tag of 500 bucks, and I'm like... Uh, like, do I care? And I, I honestly, they never, I couldn't find in the description whether I have to send the thing. But I mean, I think they do specify that you have to. I think you do have to send the thing back, don't you? Yes. Okay. The, the part that I was less clear on was, do I get any of my money back? After? Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Because isn't that what they did in the, the, the old one when they switched to Intel was like, you got like a voucher back to buy another i don't i don't know and i i read through the i read through the sort of pdf terms and conditions or whatever and i didn't really maybe it's in there and i just skimmed over it too fast but um yeah i I was at the end of the day i said well if i I assume either i'll get money back or they'll let me keep the unit and um so anyway i did i did order one last week and so i think it's supposed to arrive either tomorrow or friday so i should have it soon but uh, i don't have one at the moment what are you looking at specifically testing out on it? Uh, mostly GitHub, actually, um, which was that okay. Git client we we're talking about. And most, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things with that client. It, it, it uses uh, libgit2 and uh, some other things to to work. So it's, it's a little more complicated of an application. And so I figured I, I may as well kind of test it out on that platform to make sure that it works. Other than that, I mean, uh, it's... I'm, I just like the idea of having one, I guess, uh, as well. So just to see kind of what uh, the future holds for Mac OS. And this is this is one transition that I I think we've all been kind of expecting for a long time. So, yeah, absolutely. And even while I was at Apple, uh, which was only only about a year ago at this point, I had never actually heard of uh, them working on this. So not that I, you know, am that ingrained in too many of the things. I'm sure they were working on it, but it was a well-kept secret, I guess. So, and I think it shows because there weren't too many details that came out before uh, dub dub on what it was going to be. So, well, it was a well-kept secret, but it was by no means a surprise at sure. the time just because of all the issues with Intel. Yeah. But it seems like nobody at Apple, at least where you were knew specific details about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I think we don't, we still don't really know specific details about it, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I think as far as, far as performance goes, I'm sure somebody has gone and measured it or whatever. But I, I think I think somebody had used Geekbench, but I don't think I think it's running in like the emulation mode because it's not actually built for Apple Silicon. So I don't really know if that's a fair uh, assessment on it either. But uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see. I, I've heard that it boots almost instantly. Um, so I, I'm excited to to find out what it what it's like. But well, I, I mean, Historically, like we have already gone through this transition, and I I did have a Mac that uh, had the the iMac G4, which the nice little lampshade kind of guy. Um, and I remember having the Rosetta or whatever thing. I, I'm trying to remember if it was actually on that computer or not that had it, but there was one computer that I had at least at some point that had um, sort of the Rosetta Rosetta thing going. And uh, they even had like the the Mac OS nine uh, boot up sort of thing that you could do where you could run Mac OS nine applications and stuff like that. Um, so they're they're you know they've gone through transitions of this before. It's it's not really new, and I I don't really expect a major fallout from it. I think the inter- the most interesting question will be the Windows story. I think that's what kind of is on everybody's mind. And I mean personally, I don't care because I don't actually use windows at all but for those people that used it for 
you know, boot camp for different applications, or if it was for playing a, a game here or there, then or even virtual machines, right? Because your virtual machine has to use uh, the same processor. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to assume that Apple has kind of thought about this, and um, it sounded like they were thinking about virtual machines when they do it. I mean, they don't like internally. They there's there's no doubt in my mind that they have thought through all these scenarios of what what are they supposed to do with this this thing, and how much is this going to be a problem? And and I wouldn't be surprised if they you know already had Microsoft and 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 uh, yeah. some of these other virtual. Uh, company or you know vmware and parallels or whatever to get them to try out their stuff with the new the new thing I, i'm sure they enlisted them about a year ago so if not longer but so i i'm not too concerned about that i mean per, again personally i don't use windows so it's not really right. an issue at all but again I, I think there'll be some way and it sounds like windows ultimately might be kind of going the same way with their arm stuff i know that's been absolutely kind of slow, tra- yeah. slow transition for them but my understanding was the arm the windows on arm only works on like specific hardware it's not like with windows on intel where you can just get a copy of windows and slap it on any custom right. built pc whereas arm like it has to be built with the licensing it's a legal thing where like the yeah. licensing only works on specific hardware so i think like that's probably what what is going to end up happening is either a the emulation for Intel is so awesome that like you can run a standard x86 Windows copy on a VM or the licensing stuff with ARM works out that you can just install ARM Windows on a Apple Silicon machine. Yeah, I think the most interesting that I'm looking at is how the uh, the the battery life uh, of these things i mean obviously we're not getting units that are going to have a battery in them so right it's essentially an ipad processor right that's what you get on the dtk yeah well that's yeah it it, well some version thereof it's not it isn't the ipad processor but it is some variation thereof okay at least I think I, I I'll have to confirm that when I get it, but I just know how long the iPad can work <laughs> and I'm very curious to see, okay, given, you know, the batteries that they put into max, which are generally pretty substantial. Um, it would be interesting to see what kind of, uh, battery life performance they eke out of these things. Um, maybe it won't be really that significant. I mean, maybe it'll be basically the same thing. I don't know, but it definitely will be an interesting transition and i i think it's i think it's one that makes sense for them um i I know certain people would agree but uh with with what intel's been doing for the last you know two three years or whatever i I think um i think apple's been kind of making leaps and bounds over them at least in the mobile market so if they yeah have that same kind of dedication to mac which i kind of assume they will um i'm not sure why i have that confidence necessarily but um, (laughs) i for whatever reason, I think there, there's a good chance that they'll they'll put uh, some good thought and effort into it. So it's that time of the year you're probably trying to build that brand new app for iOS 14 that you want to get out in time for fall. But one thing you should probably think about is how are people going to find this new app? You could try to rely on your social media feed, but it might be a good idea to take a look at App Store optimization. And that's where App Figures comes in. We've talked about App Figures before on this podcast, and we've had Ariel, their CEO, on the show, talking about how you can optimize your app for the App Store. And they've just released brand new ASO teardowns, which have taken a look at some of the big names on the App Store, but also looked at some indie apps like FootMob, which I'll have a link in the show notes. 
below. These teardowns take a look step by step at what these apps are doing right and what they're doing wrong to get their name out on the App Store. And just recently, they've launched a brand new competitor intelligence report, which is live right now. These new competitor reports from App Figures give you the ability to see competitor downloads, build performance benchmarks, and see new trends as they happen. You can see it in action by clicking the link in the episode notes below. So go ahead and give App Figures a try for free. And if you like it, use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Again, just go to appfigures.com and try it for free. Use our special code or the link in our show notes below to get 30% off for the next three months. I want to thank App Figures for sponsoring our show. So you mentioned battery life. I put Big Sur on my laptop and I have to say my battery life is just awful. On my, uh, <laughs> I have a 20, whatever the last model was before they switched over to the touch bar. I want to say 2015 or early 2016. Okay. But like, um, yeah, just my battery life is horrible. And I feel like my fan is just constantly running. Yeah. And I think I'm, especially with beta too. Um, I feel like things actually got a little bit worse. Well, from what I've heard, it's basically iOS 14 was actually a fairly solid release and Big Sur has been uh, mediocre at best. I mean, I I kind of expected that with the design changes because there are so many more blur type things that they're doing. And this is kind of what drives me nuts about the things that they do with some of these designs is that they (laughs) they they keep wanting to blur just about everything on the platform. And, uh, you know, they're not especially with certain processors, right? And that might be the problem on some of these older machines is that um, they they might not really be handling this as well as some of the newer machines do. Right. And I know internally, like, it's a huge struggle for them to try and maintain the support for older devices. And it a lot of the times it does come down to sort of the graphics cards that are in older Macs, right? It's, it's not quite the same as uh, the iOS or the iPhone releases and they they just they just struggle to support all the different graphics cards that they have, and I don't think they really support all of them equally. I guess if that makes sense. So you know, the, are across there the tweaks ba- that I can make to like shut off certain features so it runs more smooth, smoothly? Probably, I, I, might be. <laughs> I mean, it might yeah. be an accessibility though. I don't really know if there's much beyond like right. uh, you know reduce. Uh, I don't know. Reduced motion might be one of those things that uh, gets rid of the blur stuff. I'm not really sure what what uh, I'm sure somebody has looked up uh, how to reduce some of the blur features. But uh, as far as I know, I mean, you're probably not going to improve it too much with uh, any any standard settings. So, yeah. What? So what's your overall thoughts on Big Sur as far as the design is concerned? Uh, It's mixed. I mean, I'm glad that they wanted to put in some thought to redesigning it, but. So I mean, there's there's a few different things. One is just the overall, the overall design of the contrast. So at least in the early betas that we've had, I just I'm looking at some of these apps and I I'm almost struggling to figure out whether things are buttons or not, or if they're if they're groups of buttons. I find that one to be very weird. Like the I think it's in Finder where they have sort of the um, the segmented control that mm-hmm. it almost mm-hmm. just looks like there's three or four buttons that are. Right. not really connected to each other, even though they are part of a group. And I know that, yes, if you hover over them, they do this weird thing that they kind of show you the thi- the <laughs> the size of which they're matched, which was another weird thing because in Finder, at least in beta one, I haven't installed the second one, but the sizing of those 
uh, outlines are slightly different depending, I think, on the image that they put in there. And it, it's like really <laughs> the highlight itself is just really irritating to me. But so there's like little things like this that are, I think, from our perspective, they're fine because we might understand how Mac OS works already. But I just find that the distinction between buttons and not buttons is not all that clear. I mean, obviously, if it's in the, the toolbar, it's probably a button. But um, I, I just think the distinctions are are becoming very difficult. But even the buttons themselves, the contrast between button and the background is is not very clear either. And so there's I think I think they're going to do some tweaks. I'm kind of surprised, honestly, by what came out of it, mostly because. I know how much thought they put internally to accessibility. Like it's, it's a thing that happens all the time. And I just feel like, I don't, I don't know where the accessibility police were on, on this design, but it just seems like without changing some of the defaults, you're, you're really going to be struggling to, to kind of find some of the distinctions. So it looks nice, I guess, but it's just one of those things that there's, there's form over function and, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they change some of this by the end of the betas. And we've seen that before with, with previous right. OSs where totally they kind of tweak. Yeah. So um, that might happen, but uh, overall I think, I mean, it looks sleek um, and I, I, I like some of the, the unified toolbar sidebar kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I think it looks good overall, but yeah, there weren't, there weren't honestly a lot of changes other than the design, uh, the design itself though, where, uh, I mean, if you look at the API changes for Mac OS, there's actually not that much. Um, they, it, there's a very different look for all the existing APIs, but um, as far as new APIs go, it's, it's very similar to previous years where there really isn't that much um, there. And again, this probably comes down to really the amount of effort that they've done internally to get Catalyst and get Swift UI stuff working. So I'm sure that they did a lot of work throughout the year, but it, it always, when you look at the changes for AppKit, it's always like a, a one page report basically on mm-hmm. uh, the differences. So it's, it's a little disappointing in that regard, but again, I get it. There, there really aren't that many people on that team. So, you know, there's only, I don't know, somewhere between seven to 10 people on the AppKit team. So it's, it's a fairly small team that has to do all the support for both Catalyst and, Swift UI. So between those two alone, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of stuff that they had to <laughs> work on. So, and then the design for all this stuff. So. Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of challenges migrating to the new design, assuming you use a lot of built-in controls. Like as long as you stay away yeah. from customizing too much, I think, as is typical with a lot of Apple design APIs, it's like if you don't stray too much from their native APIs, you're pretty good. Yep. Yeah. And it's, that's, I mean, that's pretty much always how it's been. And they, they're really emphasizing this uh, accent color thing where you can kind of pick your own accent color per app or whatever. I feel like that's their like fun design spice that you can do now. (laughs) You know, it's like, I know we have no real way of customizing a lot of these things anymore. So here's, here's the color that you can add across your application. And so I don't know, it, it, it does. And that, that definitely has been the trend is sort of, to less customization that they kind of are getting you more into a particular design mode. Um, again, not necessarily bad. Uh, it does, it does help with continuity and it helps definitely a lot for new people to the platform to understand 
the system standards, right? I mean, we all are used to the menu bar and uh, right. they, these, these kind of things do help, right? Everybody understands for, you know, this is one of those things on windows where uh, the menu bars can be whatever, right? It can be completely different depending on what app you're in. And Mac OS was always nice in that way where it, you understood how every application worked because every application pretty much had the same layout for, uh, for their their menus. So there are obvious, uh, benefits to kind of conforming to what the the system wants but again you're you're you are losing some of your ability to uh to customize it but yeah i don't know overall i like the design i i think uh they're probably going to make some tweaks on it before all is said and done but uh i'm i'm sure it's mostly going to be what it is i guess so it seems like the bigger challenge is migrating your apps over to apple silicon and it sounds like your biggest worry is with a lot of like the C library stuff with the Git app, right? I mean, it's not really, I wouldn't say it's a worry of mine. Um, I, I think it's just um, Git up is mostly just a more complicated application. Like it, it utilizes a fair amount of stuff for Mac OS that um, it's just worth testing on, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's, it's not, you know, most, most applications for either iOS or Mac OS don't really have underlying C libraries, right? I mean, a lot of, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but the majority of people that are starting with the platforms at least are going to use uh, maybe some third-party Swift uh, APIs, but for the most part, you know. Or even Objective-C stuff. Yeah, yeah and, and gets its own special challenge as well where, um, you know, working internally, that was always something. I, <laughs> I still remember when they were working on uh, the new Apple file system, and at some point they, they totally broke uh, some aspect of the time system where – uh, then Git all of a sudden was very confused on the time of <laughs> uh, your system, and then it just like Git stopped working for that kind of whole release and or that 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 uh, well the internal release of that build. So there are th- there are things that are more complicated. I mean, Git's a fairly it is a complicated file structure basically. So not that Apple Silicon should really change how that works, but uh, Git's not you know it's not s- a small little sliver. It's not like running some different Swift code, right? I mean, I'm not really concerned about the Swift code. It's, But these are the kind of things that, you know, a- Apple, obviously, they're going to run through all the stuff that their applications run on. And so um, I'm, I'm sure a lot, of in, a lot of apps internally are using C code as well. So I'm sure it's not. I'm sure they've tested this out. And I, I, I don't really expect there to be issues. But uh, it's just one of those things that it would be nice to to have built uh, one of these universal apps so that when the platform does come out, we, uh, we can be ready to ship it. So my but, struggle uh, right now uh, with speculate is that it uses, um, it does use like some C plus libraries. And like, I started deep diving into like make files and C make in order to like change the architecture that it's built for. Um, mm. Like the actual C plus plus library. So that, that became a big challenge to where I was just like, look, like I could waste a lot of time on this to get it to work on Apple Silicon, or I could just like <laughs> w- w- wait for Lucas to get his DTK and he could build it for me. <laughs> cause like, it's just like, okay, like I get where this is coming from. And I'm like, yeah. Cause like C plus plus stuff, I haven't done make files in, in years. And it's like, oh man, like, I, I don't know if I really want to waste my time on this and just like, 
trick because like a lot of those make files like are very specific to whatever processor you have on the machine i'm just like not super averse into that stuff sure yeah i mean you and probably every other <laughs> mac right. or iOS yeah, developer exactly. but yeah it's i expect that going through xcode is probably not too big of a deal i think if you're doing anything like you said that's objective c or swift i think you're okay with just like building it with xcode universal uh the universal version yeah. Uh, but it's when you start like having dependencies is where it becomes more challenging. Right. And that's, uh, that's my main, uh, thought on why I'd want to test that out. And there's just other, um, system aspects of it too. Like if you're doing sort of, uh, like I'm trying to think of what the word is, but there, there's sort of different, like in, an, in a notarized application, there's, um, different, uh, it's not the right thing. The the hard and runtime stuff that they have yes. for Mac yep. OS, and there's there's like different opt ins for that, and so and and GitHub has some of those um, that are um, used for whether it's running terminal and a bunch of other things. Um, so there's there's little things like that that I just want to make sure are going to end up working. Um, but again, I I don't I don't expect it to be a problem for anything that's standard and. Even for the C code stuff, I don't really expect it to be an issue either. But uh, at least, at least, if I have a unit, I can go back and forth with uh, the libgit two folks. And if I, I don't know, maybe they won't have one, but maybe they will. And uh, if you know, we can at least work on any issues that we may or may not have. But again, I kind of assume that Apple has probably already uh, tested a bunch of these things out, and it probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it works. But you know, worth worth trying out. So. What are some other challenges you can think of when it comes to migrating an app over to Apple Silicon? Um, as far as developer goes, I, I don't really think there will be that many. I think the bigger challenge will be with people that have compiled binaries. I think it's going to be the the real challenge. Right. And and that's, uh, that is more of a challenge for bigger applications. I mean, most, most people that ship apps on iOS or Mac OS, they, you know, they might use some, you know, use CocoaPods to add in some third party thing, but that's, again, that's going to be all that will be recompiled with that application. But if you have an existing uh, framework that was compiled before, and I, I, I assume those are going to have to be recompiled again uh, in order to, yes. to work in Apple Silicon. So um, anybody that has uh, either, you know, a, a, any third party pre-built framework i think those are going to be the tricky ones to uh to get working so um other than that i don't i i don't really know all the details obviously for for what makes any of this difficult but um i think as long as you can recompile the code i i don't really suspect that it'll be a huge problem but uh i can report back to you when uh <laughs> yeah. when all of it doesn't work <laughs> Hey, I want to let you know that BrightDigit has openings for new clients. BrightDigit is my company, and we specialize in development in the Apple and Swift space. We're doing a lot of work helping clients update their apps for iOS 14, macOS Big Sur, and watchOS 7, as well as doing some recent server-side development in Swift with Vapor. Now is a great time to get started updating your apps. If you're interested in having BrightDigit help your team, reach out to me, leo at brightdigit.com, or go to brightdigit.com to learn more about how we can help you get ready for the big updates this October. Thanks again for listening to our show. Before we close out, I wanted to ask about um, one of the big differences with building a Mac app and selling and distributing a Mac app is you don't need the app store. 
What do you think are some considerations to make if you're going to decide between distributing your app on the App Store over distributing it yourself? Sure. So on the Mac, there's kind of a variety of different ways, I guess, you can go about it. So um, obviously, the App Store, the downside is that your 30% of your application proceeds are going away to Apple. Um, and so that's obviously a big downside. The The obvious upside is that you have a lot more of an audience. The other downside, though, for the App Store is that you are locked into sandboxing. So you a lot of these more sort of, uh, I don't want to say technical applications, but something that might use more of the system um, or wants to analyze uh, the whole file system or something like that. So some of these might be a little more difficult to to work with in a sandboxing environment. For example, if you uh, want to be able to run a random terminal command from your application, uh, you know, it's pretty easy if you're not sandboxing, but if you're sandboxing, uh, I still don't know if that's actually possible. I think you, you have to get some special entitlement to be able to do something like that. And uh, unless you're, unless you're shipping the actual program with your app, I don't think uh, you can just like reach out into terminal and run any, um, you know, bash script or whatever. So those are the kind of things that, you know, if you're trying to build some kind of more technical application, the app store might not be an appropriate place to accomplish that again for, you know, 95% of the applications or more, it's probably fine because you can probably accomplish everything you want within a sandbox environment anyway. But so that's, that's kind of the app store considerations. Now selling yourself, you, you even here, you have a few different options where, you have set app, which is kind of this uh, subscription service that exists on uh, Mac OS that they basically bundle a bunch of different applications that people can submit. And um, you have access to a list of, I think it's like 200 applications or something that they, they keep at any given time. Um, and you can kind of put your application to here from what I've heard, the money is not necessarily um, that great coming from them either. Cause uh, you're, you know, you're sharing it with whatever other people right. <laughs> also are using your app. So, um, but maybe if, I don't know, maybe if your app's not that good, not selling, then it's worth a, worth a go um, to at least maybe get some, some uh, exposure there. But the selling yourself uh, aspect is, it can be a little bit more difficult because then you do have to start thinking about um, licensing and most people want to kind of just avoid that entirely. I, I know there are, I think Microsoft has um, this thing called App Center, which I think they bought out Hockey. Uh, as hockey app. Yep. Hoppy, yeah, Hockey app, which used to do a lot of uh, this kind of stuff for you. And But I think I think the App Center stuff for, from Microsoft now has the ability for you to basically, um, if, if they have an SDK and stuff that you can integrate to to validate receipts and whatnot. So I think there is an option there. Again, I've never actually used it, so maybe I'm wrong about that, but that was that was my understanding of uh what's what's been available there for a while. And then uh your last option is kind of just rolling your own. But the you know the thing here is that you've you're probably gonna well you're probably gonna create your own website anyway, but this website might have to be a little more complicated. Uh some pe- some people have gone the the very straightforward route and said, well screw licensing altogether. I'm just going to put my app up on Gumroad or something like that where uh, you know people pay whatever 20 bucks and they get the app as a binary and then what you can do from there is you can integrate um something like um Sparkle which is basically an auto updating functionality and that's actually what we do right. for for GitHub which is pretty easy to use uh, once you once you get it working anyway you you can pretty much just 
upload a binary to a, a page and Sparkle does all the work to figure out whether there's a new binary available and you can, uh, you know, when you launch the app, you can be notified of a, uh, a bundle. And, you know, for us, for, for GitHub, it's pretty straightforward. We're basically just zipping up a, a notarized application and, um, you know, people will get it downloaded right to their, their computer as long as they have the app already installed. So it's, um, there's, there's definitely a lot of ways to go about it, but I think, I think the most tricky part about selling yourself is just figuring out if you want to go down the route of a licensing model, or if you just kind of want to say, eh, I'm not going to worry about that. And just, uh, you know, you might, you might lose some money there to privacy or not privacy piracy where, uh, you know, people can upload your app now and just download it for free somewhere on the web. But, you know, some people are, willing to just <laughs> pay for your app as well. So again, this is the the Mac app store where things are usually priced at a reason or the, in the Mac space, I should say, which is things are priced at a little more higher premium and uh, people are a little more willing to pay for, for something that uh, that's out there. So, but yeah, uh, I'm still considering this myself with speculate because I'm slowly transitioning to trying to get into the app store. And I finally figured out sandboxing, which is just like one of the biggest challenges. I feel like moving an app over to the app store is I, I want to at least see how big of a challenge it was. And I was able to get it to work pretty decently. Um, but then like, it's yeah. also a developer tool at the same time. So it's like, okay, how do I allow people to run it command line as well? And like figuring that out as well, you know, it's a challenge, but when we had Daniel, did you get the command line stuff to work within your sandbox app? Um, I have the GUI app to work, so that's where okay. I'm at right now. As far as the command line app, I haven't gotten that far yet. So I at least want the GUI to work first with SwiftUI and sandboxing. So I've got that part. And like Daniel was on last year, and he had a really good point about like there's there is marketing to marketing benefits to being in the Mac app store for newbies. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you already have an existing audience you can build on top of then it, like you're not going to gain any benefit from the Mac app yeah, store necessarily. For sure. And I mean, I guess that's another thing to mention with in general, if you are selling outside the Mac app store, um, the best thing that you can probably do for yourself is get these people on a mailing list of some kind. So some, some yeah. kind of email, uh, correspondence where if you ever do sell something else or you have updates or whatever, um, you know, now you can actually reach out to these people again and they will, you know, I'm not saying they will buy from you, but they're a much more likely audience to buy from you if you're building something that's uh, similar to the first one that you built. So that's something you don't get with the Mac app store, right? If you post one app and it does decently yes. and then you post, you have no way one, to reach out to them. You have no way of reaching out to that audience again. So, I mean, you, yeah. I shouldn't say that you can through the first app if you, uh, and I've seen this a bunch where people will try to basically advertise the other applications um, that people, you know, what they've built uh, so that they'll then go to the Mac app store and, and <laughs> buy it from there. But uh, also not quite the same thing because people may have already uninstalled that application and maybe they don't open it that much anymore. Right. So you're not, it's not the same as being able to, to send out an email to, to somebody just to say, Hey, here's this new app if you're interested and uh, yeah, consider it. So there there's, there's sort of the long game of not, ha- not having, you know, obviously your profits taken by Apple, but also having um, your audience to kind of grow and being able to build it that way. So kind of depends what you're right. on for the long game for. Uh, if it's just a free app, then whatever, just put it in the app store, I guess. But um, if, if you're trying to kind of grow something out of it, then yeah, I think, I think selling 
at least having the option of selling yourself is a, a good option. And again, this is not an exclusive. Uh, you, you, it doesn't have to just be the app store, just selling yourself. There's tons of people that do both. And uh, so don't don't feel like you have to choose necessarily one or the other. But yeah, I think sandboxing is always that thing, though, that uh, from a developer perspective is probably the most difficult aspect of needing to be in or to get over that hurdle to be in the app store where uh, just simple examples of you know, I want to access, I want to access this folder from the user. And it just becomes such a, a pain in the butt to get the user to drag the right folder in. And it, it assumes that they drag the right folder in or select the right folder. And uh, I remember I worked, this was many years ago that I did some contracting work for basically a, a disk cleaning utility and um, the number of problems that we'd have from people that you know, wouldn't select it, or even if they did select it, you just never would get the right thing. Uh, this became such a pain. Whereas without sandboxing, you could just say, <laughs> go to the user's home folder and ta-da, we have, right. now, we now can access these folders, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, 99% of the apps that are doing this, they're not malicious, right? They really just want to, <laughs> they just want a simple way to access the folders that are relevant to the application performing the way it does. And, but with, with a lot of this stuff and it, and I think the biggest thing that, unfortunately, this is now outside the Mac App Store now, where almost every new application you install now yes. has some kind of permissions thing that it has to validate uh, whether and it's you a have screen- to relaunch the app, and it's like, yeah. Yep. And the biggest thing is if you forget about it, and if you if you deny one of them, or you just kind of skip over it somehow, um, and then it doesn't work, and now all of a sudden it's like. I don't have audio in my application or I don't have the screens not recording or, and then you're just kind of left wondering why it's not doing this thing anymore. Uh, it, the, honestly, the user experience from that alone. And I mean, I'm a very technical person, but I've still had this happen multiple times where I install something and it doesn't quite work the way I wanted it to. And it was probably because I denied some permission somewhere or I skipped over it in some way that, and then it just didn't ask me again, because unfortunately that's kind of how the APIs work from Apple. They don't, if you, if you kind of just skip over it and don't answer the question, uh, it, it, don't, it doesn't necessarily ask you again, even if you, uh, even if the app tries to access your screen recording, it just won't work. And that's, um, there's from the API perspective, there's really no good way of knowing that it's not working. And it's, it's just kind of a mess overall, unfortunately. And, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer to how these things should work, but I feel like the APIs on Apple's end should be better on, uh, being able to detect whether, whether the users actually have these things. So at least, at least that way the apps could recover from these cases where they expect particular things and don't get them. So. Are there any good UI guidelines for dealing with the sandbox? Because like right now, I just have like a little lock icon to let people know that they don't have access to a specific folder or whatever specific file dialogue. Yeah, I I don't know of any real good paradigms that people are using for that. Um, I mean, as far as as far as accessing goes, the only two that I really know of are either using the open panel or you can use drag right. and drop. Um, but as far as, as far as indicating that you don't have access to that, this, I don't think there's really a good, there's not uh, sort of an agreed upon. Nothing good yet. Anyways. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make one. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the thing with, with a lot of Mac OS development. And if, if you are a Mac developer and um, 
there, there's a lot of small projects and these are things that I keep thinking of working on periodically as well that, um, you know, having, having components that could help people, um, achieve some of these, these simple problems that we keep hitting because, I mean, honestly, at this point, I don't think Apple is going to work on it too much. So it seems like they just kind of keep wanting to put more hurdles in your way of uh, achieving the app that you you want to achieve with the system, and uh, which is you know unfortunate, but it's kind of it's kind of how it is. So, but uh, yeah. Before we close out, what are some general guidelines you have when it comes to developing a good Mac app? Yeah, so I mean, finding applications that you enjoy using. But also, um, so the, the general general things, I guess, are are good keyboard support. So things that you can, uh, like an I- ideal application is something that I can pretty much navigate through the entire app just by using the keyboard. And if um, by default, I don't think this is on, but in uh, system preferences, there is an option under, uh, I think it's keyboard, uh, in one of, the, one of the sections, there's the ability to toggle between all controls on macOS. And in my like perfect Mac application, this is kind of one of those things where uh, I want to be able to just hit the tab key if I want to get to a different control and I should be able to get to the control uh, by using either the arrows or tabs. And that's that's kind of one of one of the things I always look for for a Mac application that I use a lot of is the ability to not have to click on everything. And this is something that uh, unfortunately, at least with, uh, I mean, I don't really know how the new Catalyst applications will behave. It sounds sounds like they've improved a lot of this keyboard support, but certainly, it's certainly something that's very obvious to me is when you have a list of something and I can't just arrow through the list to access it. Uh, that's always like a a huge red flag. As a <laughs> you didn't really work too hard on making this uh, Mac app a Mac app, I guess, and maybe that's not mm-hmm. the developer's fault, but that's that's certainly one thing that I, I look forward. Or look to is the ability to access almost everything through keyboards, and then uh, sort of along that same line, the keyboard shortcuts. Right, if I'm on an item, I should be able to, in some way, uh, maybe if it's a simple list of something that I should be able to copy some value off of this list, or I should be able to dive into that item. Right, so if I want to display it, I should be able to hit uh, return or command down. Some those are some common ways at least of accessing items depending on uh, the situation and um, so th- those are those are other things as well for menu bar applications I talked about this in the responder chain episode where uh, if you're just using a standard NS popover make sure you're testing out all the different user scenarios so if you're switching between a space or you are um, using expose right so uh, you're Maybe um, so there's like the expose to show your desktop and the expose to show all the different applications. And if you actually just use NS popover for a menu bar application, for example, that that window just stays there while everything else moves out of the way. And ideally, you want everything to kind of be part of the same system. Right. So it should if I if I'm trying to show desktop, I really do want to move everything out of the way. So your app should not be the one that's standing in my way of (laughs) doing those types of activities. Uh, th- th- those are kind of the the major things that I can think of. Um, I-, I think a lot of it really does come down to this keyboard support, though, and and shortcut support. And uh, just a small thing on shortcuts is at least with AppKit, I'm not. I have to kind of see what Swift UI does for this, but all of your actions that you'd want to perform on a particular item, they probably should be menu items. So. If you have an item, uh, let's just say it's to um, zoom into a view, for example, right? So a, a way that you can achieve this is you could 
on, say, for example, NSView, you can add the option of zooming in and out of, you know, you could add that that keyboard um, shortcut, basically, to to listen for when there's a key down. And you could say, well, I, you know, the person did a command plus or something like that. And therefore, I should do this action. But um, the important thing about that is that this this item is much more discoverable if it's in the menu bar. And so if you add the, this item to the menu bar, people can go either to the help menu and they can just type the term, which I do quite a bit. So if you uh, if you didn't know that you can do this, you can go to the help menu on Mac OS and you can type, there's like a search bar in there. You can type, you know, Zoom, for example, and it will show you, it'll navigate to the area in the menu bar where that item exists. And this is extremely helpful for discoverability aspects of um, items. So if you want people to know that you can do these things, putting something in the menu bar and in the menu bar, you can then add your keyboard shortcut, which will perform the action. And uh, that'll uh, go through the responder chain, which is obviously the title of my <laughs> the little, little section, but <laughs> responder chain will uh, allow you to go through the entire application, depending on what view it is. Um, and whatever view is supposed to respond to that, if it's the zoom case, right, it'll respond appropriately to that, that zoom command. So uh, those that's the appropriate place to put keyboard shortcuts is the menu bar that's uh, something that some people don't do correctly either and the last little thing i guess i'd mention uh, and some applications do a good job of this uh, i think pixelmator pro comes to mind where um, if you hover over different actions uh, some of them will give you tool tips on uh, the keyboard command that you can actually use to activate that thing. So um, if you hover over sort of like the the select button or the paint button or something, I think Pixelmator Pro at least, and I'm sure there's other applications, will actually show you um, the letter that you can press to activate that command, which is a great sort of discoverability aspect. And these are just kind of the pro things, right? I mean, it's not it's not that some you know people that are new to your application they're probably not just going to be using these out of the gate but you want to provide some way that your user can actually uh, get better at your application right you don't want it just to be baseline for everybody ideally if somebody reuses your application on a daily basis there should be some way that they can kind of improve their workflows and from there we could even go into automation and stuff like that but that's uh, that's a different topic of you know um, altogether I'm not going to go into <laughs> Apple script or anything like that. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you get the idea of, you know, you could, you can keep going with this where you start scripting the ability, uh, right. abilities in your applications and basically just providing the people that want to do pro things on your application, the ability to do those. That's kind of my biggest thing with, uh, if you're really trying to make like a, a full Mac application, I should be able to perform a lot of the standard of standard functions without clicking them with a mouse. And that's, where I find most of um, the catalyst type applications will fail quite right out of the gate is I almost have to click everything to get uh, to anything that I want. So, yeah, and I especially with like the keyboard shortcuts, I hope they bring more of that like to the iPad as well. Like there, it seems like there's a lot of good paradigms if they're going to make the iPad more more productive. That sound like should be followed yeah. on the Mac as well. And the iPad has a nice sort of discoverability feature of. Um, if you, I think it's like hold down the command key or something and it shows right. you all the different um, right. commands. So, and there's actually a few different applications that on, on Mac OS, they're, they're third party ones, but they'll actually, they'll basically show you all the different commands that you can do in an application and in kind of a nice way. I, I, I can't remember the app I recently was looking at, but anyway, the, the general idea is just having the discoverability options there and allowing your user to become better other than just 
clicking with their mouse because you know if you if you use the application on a daily basis i mean just think of uh using xcode right if you didn't have the option to hit command r <laughs> to run your application mm-hmm. all these different things right like right. uh you'd, you'd probably get pretty frustrated or at least it would be much slower right so keeping yeah, these totally little things agree. in mind yeah yeah i love keyboard shortcuts and so it's 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 definitely one pattern i i hope more developers take advantage of well thank you so much for coming on the show it's really great to have you lucas yeah great thanks so much for having me where can people find you online yeah so you can find me on uh youtube is probably my main location which is youtube.com slash apple programming uh you can look at the GitUp application if you want which is at getup.co and uh, you can also go to Twitter, where my Twitter handle is just my full name, Lucas Dara. And lastly, you can uh, visit my website, which hasn't been updated in a while, but has some intent to uh, change it at some point, which is just uh, Dara.com, which is lastname.com. Well, thank you again. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit, which you can find at brightdigit.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks again, Leo.